Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning. Happy Monday to everyone joining us in real time. It is November 2nd. Can you believe it? We've moved into November already. I guess that's a good thing. Um, I enjoy the fall season. However, you know, ever since COVID hit, time has just been flying so fast that it's really incredible to believe that, you know, it started back in February or March and boom, here we are already uh, in November. Just insane. Um, So Halloween this weekend, right? I know that things are probably different for each of us across the country, uh, depending on what state we're in. I know there are areas where things are probably wide open and Halloween will go off like normal. Um, And then there's other areas of the country where things are still a little bit shut down. And you have some interesting ways to make Halloween fun, uh, you know, for the kids which I saw this week, or last week rather, on Friday, uh, they had two things. The The school across the street had a little drive through thing where they, I think the kids had made, they took skeletons and they put their costume on their skeleton and then they stood them up along the road uh, every six feet. And then at some point there was a parade of cars that went by uh, to see everyone's costume or everyone's skeleton. So thought that was a unique thing the school did, given the situation we're in. And then later that night, I, th- I think there was a big thing over at uh, the Great Park. Uh, I have a feeling it was one of those drive-through trick-or-treating experiences. And so, you know, there was all sorts of stuff on the news about cars backed up and how to get into the Great Park correctly uh, so that you could drive through this Halloween experience. So COVID has definitely changed the world around us in so many ways. But again, we are not here to talk about that. Um, Let's jump into our minute of transparency for this week. I'm going to call it Welcome to California, um, which might seem a bit strange uh, for formalities like that, given the fact that we have been here now for four years. But last week, I think we got the official welcome. Uh, in four years, we've gotten to know our way around. We've done all sorts of things. Uh, we've we've paid the high prices, or what we call the sunshine tax, and we've even been through a few earthquakes. Uh, but last week, we experienced fire season in all its glory, and not just a fire in the hills, thirty minutes away, like normal. You know what we typically see. No, this was one of those fires that literally threatened to burn down our neighborhood. Uh, the day began for me around 4 a.m. Um, as the Santa Ana winds started to roll in and it kind of woke me up. So I got up, I started closing all the windows, which you have to do. Otherwise, your house is just packed full of dust and dirt um, after they roll through. So then I laid back down, tried to fall asleep again, you know, with the winds howling around the corners of the house. Um, so I was basically in and out of sleep until 7.30 when I got up and tried to start the day. Uh, and as I walked, you know, by some of the windows, I could see what looked like thick clouds over the, the hills to the east. 
The only problem was the clouds didn't really look like the clouds that are over the mountains, right? These clouds had the telltale sign of, of being a smoke cloud, very thick at the origin, um, very full cloud, uh, and then a long wispy tail kind of trailing off in the direction of the wind. So I checked my phone and uh, sure enough, it was a fire and they were already in full battle mode. Uh, it was named the Silverado Fire, and it started around 7 a.m., I believe, uh, that, that Monday, the 26th. Uh, and it was, I believe, less than 10 miles from our house when it started, uh, near the 241 Toll Road and Santiago Canyon Road. Uh, it's basically an area I drive through all the time when I when I go to work. So I watched for a while and then finally decided to put it on the TV so I could start my day. Um, I did a few Zoom calls, my wife exercised, um, and, you know, things seemed like they were headed in the right direction, and the fire was big, and it was dangerous. Uh, it was being driven by 40 to 60 mile an hour winds, but it seemed like it was headed away from our area and didn't look to be that big of a threat. Then at some point, however, things changed, and I think, you know, there was at one point where the firefighters had to stop using helicopters because the wind... Uh, had just gotten so intense that, that it was dangerous for the helicopters to be out there. So the winds were swirling, and, and eventually they changed direction a bit. And, uh, you know, as we sat in our living room, we could basically see a wall of smoke in the distance. You know, just a giant cloud of smoke. And at one point we realized, oh, it's kind of moving in our direction. And so this wall of smoke just kind of kept creeping toward us. It moved into our neighborhood, it moved down the street, and eventually it just enveloped our house. And the sky got dark, and it kind of created that eerie orange color that we've come to know this year in California. And that's when my wife got a text. Uh, it said something, something to the effect of evacuation orders have been issued for your area, blah, blah, blah. And from there, it was just a whirlwind of, you know, getting the kids up, determining essentials, packing overnight bags, determining how many cars we were going to take, determining where we were going to go, all of that. So once we had uh, the three of the four cars packed, uh, we left Irvine uh, along with everyone else. We sat in traffic. Um, I was in the Jeep with no top on, had to put my mask on, uh, you know, because the smoke was so bad. And, you know, the winds were just swirling ash all around, kind of like a light snow, right, falling on my jeans and sweatshirt. And eventually we made it to the 5 freeway and headed south, um, out from under the cloud of smoke and back into the sunlight. And that was it. We were, we were free. We were safe. Uh, you know, for the next two days, we kind of wandered around Southern California, from San Clemente to Carlsbad to Marietta. Uh, we drove, ate, slept. The kids did Zoom calls for school. And we just waited, right? We waited to receive news that the evacuation orders had been lifted. And eventually that news came on Tuesday evening. So we spent the night in Marietta uh, with family, and then we headed back home Wednesday morning, uh, unsure of what, would we, what we would see or what we would be walking into. But over the two days, the news reports had typically been positive, right? Suggesting that structures were not being impacted, so we were in pretty good spirits, you know, assuming that, that our home was still there at least. Um, and sure enough, when we got home, it was. 
But when we drove around that night, uh, looking around at the burn scars, uh, it became very evident that we dodged a bullet, right? God was looking out for us in ways that I don't think we fully understand. Uh, I wish there was a way to show you how crazy the fire was, how it literally burned up the 133 freeway right to the entrance of our neighborhood, uh, how it burned between neighborhoods, leaving black smoking scars 50 feet from houses, how entire hillsides are black on one side and then full-blown neighborhoods on the other untouched. It's been a few days, um, but I don't really think I'm back to normal. I mean, I still think about it a lot and how lucky we were compared to those in other areas. You know, California has been ravaged this year, um, and just recently Colorado has experienced a set of fires that um, that are apparently larger than any of in their history as well. And I know that, you know, in some of those fires, lives have been lost. Property's been damaged and lost, and firefighters have died trying to protect us. So why the impact on me? I don't know. I don't know if it was just the proximity, you know, how close we came to it, or or if it's the world, right? Just how crazy the world is and how it seems to be falling apart already. And then this is just the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know. Um but it had an impact nonetheless. So I'll put, uh, I'll put two links in the show notes in case you're interested in seeing um, images and video clips from the fire. I'll put a, a link to Twitter hashtag and an Instagram hashtag for the fire. And I just want you to know, those of you who are still uh, dealing with a fire in your area or if you're evacuated and waiting to find out the status of your home, uh, just know there are people praying for you um, that that your life will get back to normal and that, uh, that you will be safe. All right, uh, let's move into our topic for today. Uh, we are going to discuss transcending our world view. So in this episode, we're going to discuss how much water is in your glass, the four world views, and finally, we're going to discuss transcending your view. Number one, how much water is in your glass? So my wife and I have had this ongoing debate about our personalities, right? And it often boils down to that whole, are you an optimist or a pessimist conversation? Now, my wife fancies the optimistic view, and she suggests that I am the opposite. And I get it. I mean, I, I can be negative sometimes, and, and um, but I really don't believe that I'm a pessimist, right? So out of irritation, I typically respond with, I'm neither. I'm a realist. Now, the problem with this conversation or debate or argument or whatever you want to call it is that I have not done a bit of research to back me up on that. I just like the sound of it, right? I would rather somebody call me a realist than a pessimist. But just because I like the sound of something doesn't make it true. So that's where this episode really came from. It was a desire for me to understand more about the different ways we view the world so that I can better understand my own view and learn to live with it. So let's start at the beginning, back when there were just two ways of looking at the world, as an optimist or a pessimist. Now, I'm sure we've all heard these two discussed as polar opposites, right? You're either one or the other. And we've probably all heard them explained with the glass of water analogy, right? So you fill up a glass to the midpoint with water. Uh, The optimist will say, oh, look, my glass is half full. And the pessimist will say, oh, look, my glass is half empty. 
And we laugh because it's funny, right? For most of us, we laugh, we move on, and we don't really put serious thought into what we just heard. After all, we don't really fall directly into one of these two camps, right? I mean, we have good days and bad days. That's probably more the determiner than our personality, right? On good days, we tend to be more optimistic, and on bad days, we get snarky and pessimism comes out, right? No? Well, this is where we tend to get stuck, right? We blow it off as a passing personality trait or one that changes with the weather, so to speak. And we never really get down to the nitty gritty, determining how we look at the world most of the time as a rule. So let's start with these two options in order to get a solid footing for the next two that we'll discuss. Where did this whole concept of optimism versus pessimism come from? Well, I'm not sure and I'm not going to go you know, in a great detail or do a lot of research to figure out its true origin. But I'll just go out on a limb and say that it probably came from the world of psychology. I mean, isn't that logical? Right? You've got psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, clinicians, you know, at every level who have made the brain their field of study. And the idea that our brains may be bent in one direction or the other in terms of the way we experience the world around us um, is fascinating to the average person, no less. So most of the articles that attempt to explain optimism versus pessimism, at, at least with any level of scientific fact, are typically from the world of psychology. So I'll put a list of references in the show notes so that you can uh, do a bit more research on this if you're interested. Um, but let's just start with a overview or an explanation from this guy named Jeremy Dean. Uh, and the article comes from psychcentral.com. Jeremy explains that people gravitate to one or the other based on motivation. He explains, We all know how difficult it is to predict what's going to happen in the future. Life is always throwing us curveballs, and most of us accept that our plans often don't work out the way we think they should. Uh, it's not that we're doing anything wrong, just that life is unpredictable. So to cope with this unpredictability, some of us choose to think optimistically because it helps motivate us to try and try again. For others, the pessimistic mindset performs the same function. By thinking about what might go wrong, it helps protect us against when things do go wrong. So in both cases, you know, what the optimist and pessimist are doing uh, is basically working in service of their motivation. Each provides a protective buffer, if you will. And finally, Jeremy goes on to explain that it is almost like two sides of the same coin, that people just pick one side because it seems to work better for them. So being optimistic allows people to pursue their goal in a positive way, to dream a bigger dream, a better dream, uh, which they can work on or work their way towards. Optimists seem to respond better to positive feedback, and our uh, part of being optimistic may be generating this feedback for themselves, thinking positive thoughts. On the other hand, uh, being pessimistic may help people reduce their natural anxiety and perform better. Also, pessimists seem to respond better to negative feedback, right? They like to hear what the problems are so that they can correct them. Again, part of why pessimists generate these sorts of negative thoughts is that it helps them perform better. Interesting take on optimism and pessimism. Number two, the four world views. 
So for some of us, you know, only having the two options of optimism and pessimism seems limiting at best, right? We don't, we don't like the fact that there's only two categories because we don't feel like we fit into those two categories. So we push back when people suggest otherwise. And no doubt, the two that we will add to the list arrived out of this frustration. So what are they? The realist and the idealist. And in keeping with the uh, water in the glass analogy, um, let's see how they work in the same scenario. So we already said the optimist says that the glass is half full. The pessimist says the glass is half empty. A realist would say there is water in the glass. And the idealist would say if we added some flavored powder, we could have Kool-Aid. Simplistic, I know, but pretty spot on as well. In just a few phrases, we have a pretty good idea of what the difference is between the four types. Uh, but let's dive in a bit deeper and learn more about each. Uh, in this section, I'm, I'm leaning a lot on an article by Jody from simpleminded.life. The optimist. We said glass half full, right? An optimist is a person who believes that good will ultimately prevail. No matter the outcome, there is a reason and a pur purpose behind everything. Uh, things will typically work out for the best. Uh, they tend to be hopeful and confident about the future success of something. They tend to have an internal locus of control, meaning that they tend to focus on the things within their control and they feel like they have a level of control over their, uh, their situation. And they tend to feel like they can take on any situation, anything that comes their way. Now the pessimist, obviously glass half empty, uh, the pessimist is the opposite of an optimist. So they see the world as bad, always bad, as bad as it can get. Uh, they typically believe that bad will trump good uh, pessimists tend to see the worst in people. They always expect the worst case scenario to occur. Uh, but because they assume the worst, they also plan for the worst. So they are able to take a defensive stand against problems that may arise. They have an external locus of control. So believing that things happen to them, right? And that you have very little control over those things other than to try to plan for them. Next is the realist. So a realist would say that there is water in the glass because that is true. Um, if we were to define realist just by the, you know, the dictionary standard, it would be one who tends to view or represent things as they really are. One who faces facts and acts in a practical way. So the realist is really a combination of the optimist and the pessimist right? It, it takes some real talent <laughs> to be a realist. However, it isn't a, a complete balance between the two schools of thought. The realist tends to see both sides of a situation and then determines the most likely outcome. So they are good problem solvers, good mediators, right? Even better planners as they can predict outcomes. Uh, but they can be a little harsh in their brutal honesty. Uh, they understand when arguing is pointless uh, and they know when they should speak up. They tend to be more laid back than most, and they tend to be content with themselves and accepting of most situations. They fluctuate between an internal and an external locus of control, which makes sense if they're kind of a combination of um, optimistic and pessimistic viewpoints. 
So that's the realist. And finally, we have the idealist. So the idealist would say, well, if we just added some, added some flavored powder to that water, we would have Kool-Aid. Uh, if we defined idealist in the dictionary, it would say one who cherishes or pursues high or noble principles, purposes, or goals, a visionary. So the idealist is said to be a little bit out of touch with reality, right? Unable to achieve the unimaginable. Um, out of all three classes of thought, the idealist has it the worst, really. Uh, you know, these loving people tend to study things that center around humanity and the highest social roles. Uh, you know, they can get focused on things like free water for all and uh, building more homeless shelters. Uh, they assign meaning to their lives based on um, the fact that they are or are not making a difference or helping others. Uh, they believe that the world would be a better place if everyone was educated. And finally, they actually choose not to think about control, and instead they focus on putting out good vibes into the world. So there you have it, the four worldviews. Take them or leave them. Now these aren't the final word on people's personalities, obviously. Just an interesting way to view people and how they interface with the world around them. Uh, you know, just like the conversation we could have about introvert versus extrovert or morning person versus night owl. You know, these are just ways that we try to define people and, and buckets that we try to clump people into to show distinction and to show uniqueness. Um, so I was actually going to walk through this concept in the last episode, uh, which was transcending low frustration tolerance, uh, because there really seemed to be a big correlation between how we view the world around us and our level of irritability or frustration, given the circumstances we're in. However, when I started walking through them, I realized that the four worldviews really needed to be their own episode. Um, there was so much content there that I, I just knew the the episode was going to get too long and it was going to, you know, get a little convoluted. So, so there was so much to discuss about each of the, the different worldviews that I just pulled them out in order to do them justice and made them into this episode. Number three, transcending your view. So here we are. We've defined the various worldviews and I'm hoping that you are able to identify with one of them just, you know, based on the high level overview that we discussed. But uh, as we've talked about before, knowing yourself is only half the battle, right? Knowing is only half the battle. The rest of the battle consists of what you do with the knowledge you have. So I'm not going to suggest that one of these views is better than any other, okay? Um, you know, any more than I would suggest that being an Enneagram 7 um, is a bad thing and that you should become an Enneagram 1. People simply find themselves in one view or the other based on personality, upbringing, religious persuasion, uh, life circumstances, uh, difficult situations or traumatic situations they've been in, in their, uh, earlier in their life. And like we said about optimism and pessimism, these are just two sides of the same coin. People using each way to help them cope with the unpredictability of future events. For me, after reading, you know, a quite a bit about each of these, I realized that I do resonate with the, the realist. In fact, moving forward, I can probably tell my wife with certainty that I am not a pessimist, I'm a realist. And I will be doing it with a factual base of information rather than just saying it to be obstinate. But now that I know that about myself, how can I use that information? 
right? For me, uh, the best way to use information like this is to look at the good versus the bad of being a realist, right? To kind of break it down and see, you know, just because this is who you are, just because this is your tendency or your personality, um, that usually comes with a good and a bad. So you need to figure out what those are. So very similar to the Enneagram, um, you know, I'm a one in the Enneagram world, uh, but there is a healthy version of a one and there's an unhealthy version of a one. And it's very important to figure those things out about yourself so that you can see which of those sides you fall into most often. So what does a good realist look like? Well, just from the information we talked through above, it sounds like a realist can be stable, analytical, uh, able to predict outcomes, a good problem solver, a good mediator, a good planner, uh, can be calm and can be laid back. But what happens when a realist goes bad? Well, it sounded like a realist can become uptight, harsh, brutally honest. They can become controlling. They can lean toward perfectionism and they can be a bit judgmental. And obviously this is just scratching the surface, right? This is just me researching a few articles on the internet, you know, trying to learn a bit more about these worldviews. So obviously if, if you did a deep dive, who knows what you could learn about yourself um, and your worldview. So for you, what is it? Are you an optimist? Are you a pessimist? Um, are you an idealist? And depending on which one you are, what are the good and bad sides of your worldview? And now that you know that, what can you do to focus your energy on the good? So let's land the plane. Uh, this week, I want you to wrestle with the following. First, how do you view the world? Optimist, pessimist, realist, or idealist? Number two, what do the good and bad or healthy and unhealthy versions of you look like? And three, what are a few things you can do this week to lean into the good or healthy side of your worldview? For me, this was icing on the cake after last week's episode on low frustration tolerance. You know, it's something I struggle with all the time. And as I learn more about myself and how low frustration tolerance impacts me, this understanding that I'm a realist actually sheds light on why I may have that struggle. So putting the two together has just added a whole new layer of self-awareness for me. And my hope is that you feel the same. Uh, you know, thanks again for hanging out with us this week. I'd love it if you could continue to spread the word about Transcend Human uh, on social media and by giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, it's, it's so much fun to have you here with us each week. And I just love that I get to do this with you guys. So that's it for this week. Uh, until next time, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, there's nothing better than word of mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. 
Uh, thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.